Hi, and welcome to the Townview Library Podcast, a weekly soundbite of conversations, interviews, and book recommendations from the library and other places across campus in the community. We're so happy to have you here, and thanks for listening. Hey everyone, this is episode two of the Library Podcast, and I'm your librarian, Melissa Cunningham. Today's episode is really special. We interviewed and had as a special guest Christina Rodriguez in our book club this week. Christina is the manager of Deep Vellum Books, a local independent bookstore over in Deep Vellum in Dallas, and she gives a lot of book recommendations, answered some questions, talked about indie publishing and indie book selling, and uh, gave a little career advice along the way and some publishing advice too. So hope you enjoy. Uh, We really appreciate having her on. All right. How is everybody? A little stress just because of senior stuff. It's just you have to work a lot more on your own time uh, because of colleges. And then you have to look at scholarships as well. Um, And just building up your portfolio as much as you can the first semester of senior year so that you can really get a shot in trying to make it in like the top 10% and be a well-rounded student so they accept you. What what college are you are you looking at? Um, my number one college is Vanderbilt in Nashville, Tennessee and I want to go to their Blair School of Music. Wow. Um, so hopefully I can try to get there but um, I think Last time I checked, their acceptance rate was like between 18 and 36, so it's very competitive. My safety schools are UNT at Denton and United University of Incarnate Word in San Antonio. I always thought University of the Incarnate Word, because I, I just got a, 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 mail, a mail thing from them uh, like mm-hmm. last week. I thought it was such a funny name. It is. Um, the Boston is, Boston's really nice. Mm -hmm. So. Is everyone else doing okay? Okay. Um, well, I'm going to take care of a few housekeeping things and then we're going to get to our conversation with Christina. Um, really quickly, I sent an email about the books that I had where I have multiple copies. If we were wanting to do any kind of group read, did y'all get that? And then also, if we're still interested in doing video book reviews, I have a book review guide um, that I have sent out. And then that's kind of something that you do on your own. You follow the guide, you do the, um, you do the video and you send it to me or we have a Google Drive and then um, we're gonna start gathering content. Um, I wanna introduce uh, uh, Jennifer Martinez, who's our new library assistant. If you look on the, Jennifer, can you say hi to everybody? Hi. Nice to meet you guys. I'm excited to, to work with you guys, hopefully soon in person, but mostly through here for now. We're going to get to our conversation with Christina. I know it took a minute. Um, so this is Christina Rodriguez. I have never let a Zoom conversation in this setting before, so I'm really odd. I also feel weird seeing my face up here so much. Um, but Christina is the manager of Deep Bellum Bookstore. I was telling you all that there's a, it's an independent bookstore in Deep Ellum. So we were going to chat a little bit about what that means, 
Uh, if you have any questions for her, talk about independent publishers, the kinds of books and the kinds of works that are coming out of those places. And I know when I was in high school, I didn't even know places like that existed. So it, it's just helpful. So anyways, Christina, can you say hi? And then um, just tell us a little bit about uh, you and what you do at the bookstore. Okay, um, well, hi, everybody. It's nice to meet everybody. Melissa talks about this Zoom group a lot, so excited that I get to see you guys. So Deep Vellum Books is, uh, we are connected to a publishing house called Deep Vellum Publishing. That's who we're named after. The publishing house focuses on translated work and, uh, I guess, global literature um, by contemporary authors. And we are the, I work for the sister bookstore that's connected for the bookstore. Um, I do a little bit of everything. My degree is in English literature and I have a minor in history. And so I, and I, my background is in business. Um, so I do all of the buying of the books, how we curate our selection, event programming, community work, because we are a community driven space and all of the daily operations, I guess. Um, and how we curate uh, our selection is 90% of what we carry in the store is from independent presses and then the 10% um, is a very select group of books from what we like to call in the book world the big five. Um, anything that you see on the New York Times tends to be from the big five um, you know publishing houses and we try to move away from those type of books only because politically they don't usually align with our mission and also you know we try to give a selection that is a little bit more curated so that people trust us in what our selection is. Um, we try to uplift marginalized writers and translations because translations actually only make up three percent of what is published in the U.S. and that's a very tiny number so that means there's so many books in different countries that we will never get to read until they are translated into English um, and published by somebody. So those are the kind of things that we try to focus on. I have a question. <laughs> yeah. So at the uh, at the bookstore, so often often when people refer to, you know, like philosophical books, they think of, you know, the, the, the classics like Plato or like Nietzsche or Socrates. Um, do, have you, do you, do, you, do you get any, uh, 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 in a sense, philosophy books that make you go, wow, that aren't from like the classics and stuff like that and really insight thing and those kinds of things or? Yeah. So in terms of philosophical text, there's so many pre like small presses that are doing really interesting things that are theory based. Um, so NYU has a great little small edition um, that they call Avidly Reads. And it's a little series that they do around philosophy and theory, but in a contemporary way. Um, so one that I really like, I can't think of the author off the top of my head, is called Making Out. She kind of dives into this like philosophical mindset of how we use sexuality, products within capitalism. Very great book. Um, and then they also have one that is purely based on theory, which the, the author I'm blanking on, but it's also a really great little compact book. So there are a lot of contemporary philosophers that maybe, or even some that aren't as well known that technically I would consider classics. And so there's a book called Meditations on Blue that I had never heard of about in college or anything like that, but it is a beautiful like philosophical text on the color blue and grief and mourning. Um, and things like that, I feel like we don't really talk about in conversations about classics or philosophical text, or even like 
Roland Barthes is one of my favorite writers. If I have to pick somebody who is from the 20th century, um, and he has a book called, and he's known for semi semiotics is basically his kind of thing. Um, and he has a book called Morning Diary that I think is just the best book ever. And it's not what he's known for, um, but it is, he wrote it, it's it basically written like a journal. And when his mother passed, he didn't know how to deal with the grief. And so every day he wrote a little note about how, how, he, how he was feeling in that moment, but he's known for semio, semiotics and things like that. So NYU Press is one of the best ones. If you're going to look for books on philosophy, I think they're great. That was a good question. Does anyone else have any questions? Because apparently Christina is really good at just throwing up uh, presses and books that off the top of her head. So, I mean, if we're in that vein, if anyone has questions, we're going to make her work. Yeah, I'm here. Feed <laughs> me. My question is more of a personal question. So um, when did you realize that literature is something you wanted to pursue um, some sort of career out of and when you really fell in love with it? Ooh, um, that's a really great question. Only because I, I grew up in Las Vegas. Um, the education in Vegas is not great. <laughs> it's like 49, I think we're ranked 49 in the country. Um, most of my friends, I think I'm one of the few of my friends that actually went to college. It's not something that's necessarily in Vegas. You don't need to go to college to make a living because it's so tourist-based um, and service-related. Um, so I didn't really know that books were an option because we didn't have independent bookstores, we didn't have like literary festivals or literary, you know, clubs or anything like that that could reach out, that you could reach out to. Um, so it wasn't until I moved to Texas and I'd finished my degree and I think I had just really purely by luck is kind of how I got into books. I didn't know that you could, like I didn't know what an independent bookstore was in comparison to like Barnes and Noble and the bigger chains. Um, and so it wasn't until I started working at Deep Bellum where I was like, oh, there's so many options. And also, you know, you can be a book, your career, there's so many people that are career booksellers who have been in this for over like 40, 60 years um, and can make a living from that. But there's also different things that you can do in the literary world that maybe aren't as talked about. So a lot of my extracurriculars, I do, you know, random freelance jobs with publishers. I do some marketing, it's all, it all kind of relates, but um, there's just so many options. And I think that's when I started to, I think in this, if I have to be honest, I feel like probably in this last year is when I'm like, oh, I can literally, I can be a bookseller, but I can also do anything I want in the literary world. There's so many options. And that's what I really love of being able to change it up. And like, you know, I get asked to do, to moderate conversations with authors that I love. I get asked to do um, festivals and things like that is what keeps me engaged and interested and want to be in long term of being able to try out different things that's all the time and people are so willing to let me do that I you were talking earlier about the uh, the big five and I thought it would be interesting to say that like when I buy books for the library I buy a lot of them from the big five which is something that that's why I wanted to ask uh, Christina in today because it kind of gives everyone a different um, perspective. You have been asking me about, um, not you, Christina, but like Sam and um, Asia. I'm so sad she's not here right now. I was really hoping she'd be here. I've been talking about specific genres of books that are 
definitely outside the uh, like the oof of what normal high school libraries uh, will buy. And I've been really appreciating everyone giving me recommendations for like, I've been looking for more philosophy and more other things as well. So um, Christina, you were talking about the, um, the, I'm curious if you share about the the whole the publishing from the indie side versus the big five side. Just like to talk a little bit, like what makes a difference? Why would somebody get into the indie publisher and then get the book into an indie bookstore versus uh, the the goal of the other ones? Like why is there a difference? Yeah, there's definitely like there's definitely two different. If you talk to a lot of publishers who are both on independent and big five, there's multiple reasons why people will go into this. There's both the political aspect of it and then the creative aspect of it. With big five publishers, you are working with a larger marketing budget, a larger, you know, um, size of print run that a book might have. You just have all of the resources possible. However, with those resources, there comes some not great things. I mean, like lots of money means, you know, typically it's coming, you don't know where the money is coming from. Um, and it's not always necessarily good. Um, but with that freedom, that financial freedom, they are able to offer authors a larger amount of money for their book. They're allowed to do bigger marketing campaigns or, you know, the cover design is, you know, kind of whatever they want it to be. But at the same time, it's very formulaic. They are doing the same thing for every single book that they might be publishing. And maybe some things are slightly, slightly uh, tweaked, but at the end of the day, it's very, very similar. They follow a formula and that's what gets them on the New York Times bestseller. And that money also guarantees them that they'll be on the New York Times bestsellers list. A lot of people who are more creative and want to try new and different things, like it could kill their soul essentially is what I talk to a lot of publishers about is that with a lot of my friends who work for independent presses, they love the freedom of being able to um, work with the authors that they really love, work with writing that they really care about. You know, there was, there's a lot of books in the big five where you know it's going to sell because it's a certain type of book catered to a certain person or certain people. But as someone who maybe has different political views, it, it also is very jarring. I have a friend who works at, you know, Penguin Random House um, and who she has to, she's a marketing director and she's like, wow, this is, I don't even know how to talk about this book because it is the anti everything that is the core of me. Um, versus with indie presses, you don't have that such extreme. Um, however, the money is not always guaranteed. There's different models of independent presses where you can be a nonprofit, which is purely you're getting your money from grants and that can be really hard. And then, you know, for-profit presses, you know, are working with a smaller list. So they might not get to publish everything that they want in a year just for the fact of money versus Penguin Random House can pick up any book at any time that they want. Um, so there's that aspect of it. And then there's also, you know, morally, there's a lot of publish who, publishers who just don't align with the big five model because at the end of the day even though like I'm not anti big five there are some books that I obviously really love there's some writers that I really appreciate that their work is out there and able to be in libraries and be in bookstores and I want those you know BIPOC writers to get that money like you know it's just more money independent presses can't offer the same thing that you know Penguin Random House can 
or give them the resources that they can. It's also easier to specialize in something when you're an independent press. So for Deep Vellum, they specialize in marginalized writers and works of global literature. So that's another bonus of small presses. They can really do whatever they want because they don't have, you know, the big money guys telling them, no, you can't do that. So that answer? Yeah, it's a great answer. It's wonderful. Everyone think that's good, yeah? We have a question in the chat, so I thought maybe you could speak to that as well. Um, uh, what about, do you know of any authors or books uh, about LGBTQA um, that would be more geared towards BIPOC in general? Ooh, there's so, so many. And even in YA, I actually have an interview with a YA author randomly, Melissa. I don't oh, know. Really? <laughs> yeah. About um, their name is Kaysen what is this book? Dragonfly? Something in the Dragonflies? They're part of the Texas Book Festival and they are transgender who write YA um, fiction. Um, so very excited about that one. Uh, but if you're looking for more, Feminist Press is a university press actually. They're based in New York. They're part of CUNY. Um, they do, they are known for their queer literature. Some Favorites that I've recently read are Fibre Tropical, which is a book written entirely in Spanglish, which I think is really fun and based in Miami. Um, and it is written by uh, a transgender author named Huli, and they are amazing. And it's basically like a fun, um, you know, relating to her their experience from moving from Cuba to Miami and falling in love with a woman. Dalti is an essayist who is also um, queer than I loved. Um, there's a book that's called Beyonce in Formation, and it is published by the University of Texas, and it is a memoir, and it is, um, she is a Black queer woman writing about being queer in the South and having, you know, her, um, their husband is trans, and they are purposely raising their daughter in the South, and what that means, and what Beyonce means to Black feminism, and what it means on a larger culture scale. If you want to more detailed list of independent presses too that do um, a lot of this. I would look up the Lambda Literary Awards. So that is an actual um, LGBTQIA um, award that they do every year and they have different sections that these writers are winning. In. So there will be the winner of the Bisexual Award for 2019 or 2020 and they list all of their past winners and it's just the best of the best of queer literature and independent presses that year. So I always use that site as a resource because one, it's great to see them getting, you know, award money, but also I want to read the books that are considered the best of, you know, that kind of thing, so. Thank you. That was a wonderful answer. Thanks for, thanks for throwing out so many titles too as well. I think that gives everyone um, a place to go. Um, does anyone else have any more questions? I mean, I feel like Christina is such a great resource. Uh, how long, how many, how many years have you been um, uh, running the workshop? I think it's going on four next year, early next year. Yeah, yeah. Okay, question. So whenever you got into it, like in the past four years, what has been the biggest piece of growth for you that you've experienced? I think um, well, I mean, when I got into it, I had no idea what I was doing. So that was a big learning curve of like, I have never run a bookstore. I didn't even know, like the only thing that I'd ever seen about bookstores are like, you know, you've got male Meg Ryan, which that whole movie is, you know, 
Tom Hanks is trash in that movie, but <laughs> that was my concept of like what independent bookstores are. Um, so <laughs> the learning curve of like how to run things was a little bit behind. Also, there's also just really harsh realities about the literary world that I think I was really naive to at the beginning because I was really young and like bright-eyed about it. And I was always a reader um, and I always loved books to a degree. And like, you know, I just think, you know, having a, like having an English degree was like a big thing. Like I always knew I wanted to go and like that what I wanted my major to be. But then you start working in the literary world and you see how these organi organizations operate. You learn how publishers work as well. Um, you also learn that, you know, I'm technically one of the youngest in the industry. A lot of book makeup is over 50, over 60. And they've been, they've been doing this for 30 plus years. Um, so there's that element of it, and it's also a very white industry, and that's a harsh reality that I just didn't really realize because, you know, you just don't think about it, but it is, it does make a big difference, and even how a book is published, it's like, you can celebrate, you know, a BIPOC writer, but then you also have to dissect of every aspect of the production of the book, how they felt working with their editor or who edited it. And thankfully we're in a time where people are having more agency with those kind of things and who touches their book. Um, but that was something that I just didn't even think to think about. We have an American Book Association. I wanna say out of over near 2000 independent bookstores there are in the country, I'm probably one of 50 booksellers of color. And then if I cut that down even further, it's I'm one of 20 that actually have a position of higher management that has the agency that I do. So my career path is not the same as another brown bookseller who doesn't have the same agency that I do. They're not given the same opportunities I am because I do a little bit more in terms of what my job demands are or they haven't won the same awards that I've won and it's not necessarily out of talent, it's really just opportunity. So those are the things that I think about now of how to create space for that kind of dialogue. Yeah, thanks for sharing so much. I know I learned a lot just from hearing you talk as well and knowing kind of a bunch of that. So I think it's really good to hear from the inside like that, because it's something that you wouldn't ever see just at all. Um, I also, I liked how you talked about the agency of it and how so who, who's touching the book, because if it is a creative work, I mean, no, any hand it goes through in the process, even in the marketing, I mean, everything shifts and changes uh, context and changes goal and, and you come out to the other side. And so you forget all the people that touch it along the way. They put pieces of themselves in it. So There's a, there's a great, there's an author, his name is Brandon Hobson and we are, uh, Brandon Taylor. And we were talking about this once because I was asking him about like, you know, his book came out with a big press. I think it came out with Riverhead, which is part of Penguin Random House. And I was like, oh, what was the editing process like this? And he was like, oh, it was definitely go back and forth. There would be dialogue that they wanted to cut. His editor, who would be like, I don't think that this makes sense. Like, and he was like, don't worry about it. It's a black thing. Like, it, it'll make sense if you leave it at, like, for my audience. Like, and that was like the go back. He's like, and sometimes I fight with it. Sometimes I'm like, whatever. But, you know, now my editor who knows me and we work together and we've had serious conversations about what this book is about she'll be just, you know, send me a note and be like, am I just like too white to get this? Or like, should we leave this? And he'll be like, leave it, you can keep it, that kind of thing going back and forth. Yeah, I mean, audience changes. Um, well, Vanessa put in a question asking about like, 
so many people don't know about independent bookstores. Um, like you can live in Dallas and never know that there are any that you, you should never know. So, I mean, how does one go about finding these bookshops? Like if you live here versus if you live other places, how do you even get on their radar to know that they're even there? Um, I think, well, there's definitely easy resources now of like, uh, what is it called? It's called IndieBound where they have like a map of all of the independent bookstores, but it is also an element of personal personal research, I guess. For me personally, I don't buy books from Amazon because it is, you know, the antithesis of what I do, <laughs> and also it's killing my job force. Um, but I had to do more research because, again, I didn't come from that background either, so I didn't even know that most of every state in the country does have an independent bookstore in the same way that they have all kinds of weird artisanal shops. Like, I I get a lot of questions in the bookstore that are like, "How are you guys still here?" Or like, "How do you st how do you stay open?" And I'm like, "I don't know. How does the artisanal cheese place across from us stay open?" It's very similar. It's very retail, you know. So you can, but it also like it's personal research. You have to do the work yourself sometimes. Where it is, if you believe in something strongly and you know what you don't want to contribute to as a society you have to, you know, put a little bit more effort of where things come from and ask those questions of how was this made? And those are kind of icky questions that I get why people don't want to ask them. Um, but for a personal growth thing, those are the things that I think about constantly. Of does my, do my actions align with my mission? It's basically the same thing. And for people who want to volunteer, the publishing house is always taking interns. They love interns. Um, and so there's things like that, but there's also just so many other resources across the country, and that's kind of the great thing of everything being virtual, is that I think as a country, especially in literature, um, because it is kind of a latest job force at the same time, working in books, um, they're realizing that, you know, you don't have to be in New York, you don't have to be in California um, to be in publishing, to be in books. Um, so there's a lot of great presses that offer internships to high school and college kids that pay really well. Um, that's a big thing. Interns should be paid. Fellowships should be paid because um, you are doing work. So those are things that I think are easily available. And if you ever want me to like give you any suggestions or resources, let me know. I know there are some questions about uh, publishing a deep vellum and um, I know that's a different, like you said, the bookstore and the publishing house, are, their sisters are not quite uh, the same. Mm -hmm. um, is that something that you can like throw out a quick answer to? Yeah, um, so with publishing for Vellum in particular, this is kind of the tip that I tell everybody because everybody calls the bookstore to ask about publishing. Um, but I do always recommend doing the research in terms of like there's so many different presses that are like specialized in certain things um and so that's where i feel like a lot of writers get it wrong is that they hear about a press in dallas and they're like oh i can publish my work and it's like i'm not saying you didn't write the greatest book of all time like i don't know but also it's like this press focuses on marginalized translated global literature do your books fall into those three things because if not it's probably going to be a no. Um, and a lot of presses do open submissions, which means that they will take your manus manuscript during a certain season. Typically, it's like early spring or mid, like late fall. Um, and that's when they will, you know, 
take anything that you're writing, but it's also you have a better chance of getting something published if you are actually looking up presses. I always now, like every book spine always has the little publisher logo um, on the spine, and I always can now identify what press it is just out of memory. Um, but when I was first starting out in books, because I, there were so many presses we were working with that we carried in the store, I really did look up every press. And that is why I can memory, like memorize them off the top of my head just by the logo, but I also know what they specialize in. Um, and so I, I know what the top, you know, poetry presses are in the East Coast or, you know, that I really personally like. I know who does really great fiction or essays and a lot of writers don't think about those things. And I think it really hurts them because they just think submitting it is, you know, majority of the battle and they have to like submit to everybody. And it's like, no, you should submit to places that would love and accept your work, not just anybody that has an open submission because they're gonna say no. And why waste your time? If you know that you write, you know, memoir fiction and you're sending your book to a queer sci-fi press. Like it doesn't, it, it, I don't know, that would hurt my ego, I think, if I constantly was submitting things and getting declined. That was incredible. I mean, I don't know if you, if all of you feel the same way, but I love having that kind of um, insight and perspective into a world that maybe you don't think about as often. I know a lot of you are here because you are readers and you're thinkers as well. And I just think it's, uh, it's great. So her email's there in the chat. So feel free to reach out and ask any questions. And uh, she really is wonderful at recommending books. Like I will buy books that she recommends to me from the bookshop and I've liked most of them. And um, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's good though. Like that's what you're supposed to do. If you want to stretch your mind out at all, you read things for other people are, are like sending and then you say, well, this works, this doesn't work. But you still get these other perspectives inside of your head and these other modes of thinking, these other languages. And I mean, I think that's what it's all about. Um, we're gonna have another meeting, I think next week, and maybe we can chat more about the group read. Um, it's really nice having everybody here. I'm glad everyone came, and you can always send me an email, send Christine an email, and we'll chat again. Bye. 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 Yeah. Hey there, thanks so much for listening to episode two of the library podcast. One day we will have an official name, but that is not today. We want to extend a huge, huge thanks to Deep Vellum's bookstore manager, Christina Rodriguez, for spending time zooming into the book club this week to talk with our students. And she answered some pretty great questions, gave some recommendations, some life, college, and career advice. And I know they really enjoyed it. So huge thanks to Christina. And we will be putting out another episode next week and working on that to come. So thanks a lot and let us know what you think.